Hi there. This is Daniel Schwarzman, co-host of A Positive Jam, the podcast that breaks down the Hold Steady's classic 2004 debut album, The Hold Steady Almost Killed Me. We're moving on to track six, Knuckles, one of the songs that first caught my ear when I first heard this album in 2004. My co-host, Mike Taylor, is on this track, as is our regular guest, Matt Brooks, returning after a, a bit of a hiatus. As a reminder, here's what Mike sounds like. What a weird punchline. And here's what Matt sounds like. The nickname was The Cool Guy. Knuckles is one of the first songs The Hold Steady wrote, and is a classic stand-up routine. What you need to know about this song, though, is that there's a political undercurrent to the lyrics. And even beyond that, there's the key almost killed me drama, with the narrator trying to be something that either he's not or nobody believes he is. We break down the toughness and fake toughness in Craig Finn's lyrics, and what makes this a weird gem. We've been trying to get people to call us funny Freddies, but people keep calling us clever kids. Check this out. Knuckles, track six. Daniel, what do you think? This was a song I misunderstood for a long time, both literally and just in terms of its M.O. I really liked the song at the beginning. It sounded like a stand-up routine. Craig Finn keeps doing his... I've been trying to get people to call me, dropping all these obscure references, right said Fred, Freddie Knuckles, Johnny Rodden, etc. I always liked it. I always liked the punchline in the bridge with Sonny D and Five Alive. It just sounded a lot of braggadocio without... I I didn't really get into it beyond that or connect with it beyond that. I just liked it. And as I've re-listened to it, just getting older and also in the context of what we're doing... I feel like the songs dropped a little bit in my ranking, but I also understand it better. And I think it's really more of a, I mean, it's sort of a protest song is sort of how I got at it, which is we're in the, this, it was probably written in 2003, 2004. So we're, the Iraq war's going. It's not an obvious quagmire yet, but we have the George Bush is starting to run for his second term and you got these dudes who are just talking about hard to keep trying when half your friends are dying. It's hard to hold it steady when half your friends are dead already, which sounded when I heard it originally just like a line. But then when you just kind of, I don't know, it just felt it, it rang out more to me. And I remember at the time protest songs, the oblique ones were really bad. Like there was the Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes did a terrible song called When the President Talks to God. When the president talks to God, does he fake that drawl or merely not? Agree which convicts should be killed, where prisons should be built and filled. Which voter fraud must be concealed when the president talks to God? I remember the Decemberists did a really lame song a year or two later. I just put in the was just overwrought and this was just kind of clever and it was tying the early onset of opioid abuse in the midwest to the wars in the middle east so i i just that was sort of how i as i've been listening back to it how i enter into the song again it's just like oh yeah there's something a little more enduring than just good sunny d and five alive references and so forth 
So there's two layers to the song then. First, let's talk about what's what makes a song a good protest song versus a bad protest song. And why is this why does this song work? I mean, are we on the do we buy the premise that it is a protest song? Is it me overthinking it to put it that way? I certainly think there are elements of it and I it's not something that I had thought about heavily previously either, although yeah, I think you can definitely read it that way. I think there are elements of things that are pretty consistent across this album related to identity and trying to establish yourself as someone who you want to be, whether that be through nicknames or other references to to things that are happening in the same era, but taking on identity and trying to craft yourself the way that you want to be seen by other people, but not really having control to do that. I think there's that appears here and that's maybe the more literal literal reading across what people keep calling me even though i want to be called this instead but i think yeah i think there's certainly elements to it and references to the to the middle west i think there are it's also been taken as you know talking about the war on drugs in a lot of ways and that's an earlier reference but i i can see the way that that daniel's approaching it for sure i would buy that it's a there's something going wrong in our country in I think the focus seems mostly to be more on the individual. So that would be my counter to the idea that it's a protest song. Cause I think protest songs have to kind of reference a larger collective social obligation. And this does that, but I don't think it focuses on that. I think the biggest point in favor of the idea of this as a protest song is we've got wars. There's a war going down in the middle West. The obvious implication is that, we know there's a war going down in the Middle East. The inversion to Middle West says what the listener may not understand or have considered is that there's this gigantic problem in our heartland with drugs and militia and Kevlar vests, et cetera. So I get there. I kind of get halfway there. I think there's a lot more on a broader level about what Brooks referenced, like your illusion of who you are versus what the rest of the world sees you as. And I see that as the connecting theme between the societal level of the wars going down the middle West and then all of these sort of self-effacing, fake tough guy, real tough guy setups and punchlines. I also think that when half your friends are dying and half your friends are dead already, it's hard to argue that that is not some sort of cry, a wake up call or something like that. So yeah, I'm in between. I think it's avoiding being too didactic, which I think is something that Craig Finn doesn't really seem to go for very much. It's more like documenting specific facts. I miss, I was wrong to say protest. I think it's a political song, maybe is the better way to frame it, where protest is didactic. And this is more, it evokes a time and place, just a, a feeling in the societal air, I think, as much as anything else on the album. I guess that's what I was getting at. I agree with you guys, the try to be this versus that is probably the more ongoing theme and connects to a lot of the record as well. But I think that's how I would reframe what I said to be more on target is it just really, when you listen back to it, it just recalls that time, time of being concerned about these things. And in a way that more oblique or more direct protest songs are, they don't age well. It makes me think of 
I think in Positive Jam, you also get a sense of the broader course of history, people being kind of victims to forces that are beyond their control. And I think we get that again here. And it feels like those themes or those ideas get less and less explored as we get further along in the Hold Steady's discography, at least to me, that this political or Jeremy ad type attitude of like, there's something really wrong going on seems to kind of an avenue that could have been pursued that then is left primarily on the first album. Brooks, do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I can, I can see that too. They go into a much more life-affirming direction. The arc in Separation Sunday, and then, and then they become sort of the biggest bar band in the world, or almost for a little bit there with boys and girls and stay positive. So yeah, I hear what you're... I, I, I picked that up, Mike. A Positive Jam is brought to you by Retro Gear Shop. Retro Gear Shop offers a unique selection of high-end musical instruments, recording equipment, and audio gear, and is sold to everyone from Pete Townsend to Arcade Fire to Wilco and more. Check out Retro Gear Shop at RetroGearShop.com and see why it's the premier high-end musical gear shop. Retro Gear Shop! I think the thing that resonated with me and that I like about this song is the fake tough guy, real tough guy thing. When I first was listening to this, I was probably like you guys, kind of in the peak of my enthusiasm for going out to bars and mixing it up, trying to meet new people, sort of looking for trouble a little bit drinking heavily and staying out all night and all that kind of stuff. I think I connected with the idea of trying to be tougher and be more adventurous and being more out there. And I got the humor in the song, but I also kind of was like, I want to sort of tilt the balance towards being a little bit more gangster and rough and tumble type of person. And then I felt that way for a couple of years, but then after a while, I met a couple of people who were genuine tough guys, genuinely intimidating and scary people. And I had a kind of realization that was like, you don't want to be those people. You don't want to be like a psycho who would actually kill you in a bar fight. Like real tough guys are actually scary and they... I go to prison for doing really violent stuff. That part has stuck with me a lot that this song explores that tension between trying to be a scary, intimidating person and ultimately knowing that you're not cut out for I've been it. trying to get people to call me Freddy Knuckles. People keep calling me Right Said Fred. When Craig talked about the nexus for this song, he said it was inspired by two things, one of which being a kid that he once knew who asked everyone to call him Diamond Dave, and that didn't work at all. And I think that speaks to the idea that you, if you want a nickname, 
and you come up with something cool for yourself that sounds badass, that's never how it's going to work out. Someone else is going to give you a stupid nickname or you're going to grow into something else and you're just going to have to accept it and groan and put up with it, even if it's not cool and it doesn't sound tough and you really, really don't want it. I have a personal experience in that realm right around this period. I was toward the end of college and graduating college and I had an internship that summer after I graduated and all my friends came home to the DC area and they were hanging out and I was in North Carolina. And subtly over the next few weeks and months, I realized that they were all referring to me with a nickname that I'd never heard before. And that was how they were addressing me in communication among themselves and then in emails to me. And then suddenly I was the cool guy, which had the most dripping derogatory tone to it that was terrible and obnoxious and I hated it. And I recoiled at that idea. Even Wait, that was the name? The nickname was The Cool Guy. Your name was The Cool Guy? Yes. <laughs> Which was awful. And it was like, okay, you know, on one level, maybe I should feel good about it. But on every level, I felt horrible about it. It was intended to, to rile me up and make me not feel awesome. And then over time, I just, like I said, I just would groan and deal with it. And, and then it became a more endearing nickname over time. But it took a while. And it was that summer, I was very confused <laughs> as to why... I was always being referred to that way. And I wasn't seeing these people in person for a long period of time. And that was the caricature that I had become to my closest friends. I imagine trying to talk yourself into that nickname. You're like, it's all right there. It says it all. Don't think too hard about it. And it's fine. It was one of those situations where you wanted to like fight it and push back against it. But anytime you'd say anything, they would be like, oh, such a cool guy thing to say. Oh, look at the cool guy. He's being such a cool guy. Classic cool guy. And you're like, damn it. Ugh. Man, your friends got you yep. good. It's still, it's still lingering. But yeah, only in positive terms these days. Sure. Of course. The other element to what Craig said, though, is that some of his friends in the hardcore scene in the late 80s thought that his name was Fred. And so they would, they would refer to him as Fred. And it wasn't until months or years later where he was like, what? Why are you calling me Fred? And they were like, I thought your name was Fred. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. And he was like, no, it's not. I'm not Fred. But you look like a Fred. I'm not a Fred. Sorry, guys. He does look like a Fred. I've been trying to get people to call me Freddy Mercury. But people keep calling me Trump Tech Fraud. Musically, it's I do dig the song just as a, it's another one of the sort of more atonal songs. It's it more crunchy. It's more like a bastard child of Kashmir or something. Like just like it just kind of bounces between those two chords. I like I like a bridge where, where you get the dynamic shifts where they really kind of bring it down. I mean, it's really bringing it down. And I guess this is where I can also confess that until talking with Mike in the last six months about this song, I thought that the bridge said December was a spider web with five spiders trapped inside. And I never thought it was his elbow. I know it didn't occur to me. And then Mike opened my eyes and that's sort of the hook into that building climax of the bridge. That's another way I've always misunderstood this song. And that can allude to elbow tattoos with spiders inside the spider web, which is sometimes how people refer to people that they've killed. And so there's the, the prison element to it and the tough guy element to it. That is a prison tat motif. 
or theme. Yeah. Spider web elbows. You know, teardrops also, but I think spiders in, in spider webs, yeah. Means like how victims, how many how many victims you have. I've heard of the teardrops. Seeing a guy with teardrops, I don't know. It makes me go, oh, okay. <laughs> you want to socially distant? Be socially distant? I'm just like, oh, okay. That probably got a story. Because even, well, I don't know. Try to get people to call me Freddy teardrops, but they keep calling me the crying guy. <laughs> You're just like, oh, you must be so sad. What a sad man. <laughs> yeah, I agree, Daniel. I think that the guitars coming in after the bridge where it goes, basically the band goes quiet except for the bass for a couple bars. And then what a weird punchline. The last guy didn't really die. I just lied. I guess it's like the music's climaxing and then it's this anti-climax in terms of like the message of the song. Like the guy's not really dangerous, I guess. Also to peak with the Sunny D and Five Alive couplet there is, is that's like your whole build up to the song. The drums drop out, the bass line drops out. And then you get, I've been trying to get people to call me Sunny D. I've got the good stuff kids go for. People keep calling me Five Alive and then your line because the last guy didn't really die. Just I'm trying to get people to call me Sunny D. Cause I got the good stuff the kids go for. People keep calling me five alive. But that, that is so, it's so nineties. It's so, it's so such a choice. And Craig has said that he thought that the five alive line was so stupid, but he went with it. The Sunny D one was, was one that someone else I think had introduced him to, which he dug. But for me, that is like, that is a place and there's a time and there's an era and it is specifically one commercial with aggressive skaters going around and their mom goes to the store and picks up Sunny D and you got purple stuff, you got soda, you got OJ, and then you've got the Sunny D. Hey, are you thirsty? Totally. You got OJ, purple stuff, soda, Sunny D? Yeah, go for it. Tastes like orange and tangerine. And wine. Some healthy junk too. <laughs> so it's, it's such a, like a lighthearted, weird reference to then go into something that feels much more grounded and part of the song. Did you guys have Five Alive growing up? Yeah. Five Alive was in cartons, whereas Sunny D was in like the plastic bottles. Five Alive, you could freeze, but it was like the counter and like the not as cool Sunny D. I was wondering if it was on the East Coast or whether it was a Midwest reference because we had, I drank a lot of Five Alive growing up in Milwaukee. Yeah, they had it in dining halls. That's the only place I ever saw it. School dining halls. I would say by the I would say that Craig first of all has grounds for childhood beverage references. He dropped the Kool-Aid guy in a lifter polar track. So he has he has gone to that that part of the <laughs> back to the same old well again. <laughs> and it's it's also you could argue in a song about fake toughness, what shows more toughness than building up to the sunny day? Exactly. Yeah. Like that's, that's bold. And that's maybe, you know, maybe to sort of work in that other, maybe that's what, you know, he talks about clever kids a lot, which doesn't really come up here, but maybe that's what you could say. This song is somebody who's posing. Meanwhile, there's actual real stuff that matters. And this guy's trying to talk about his elbow and we've got <laughs> Kevlar vests against the I crystal I won't place. shut up about his elbow already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of what it, yeah, that's sort of the song, isn't it? 
Well, it also hadn't hit me until now, like that it's a huge comeuppance for him to try and get this nickname out there, Sonny D. And then people keep giving, they give him a nickname that points out that his tattoo is total bullshit. That this thing that he has that's supposed to be like all life changing and like the teardrop thing and scary, but his nickname, the thing that everyone knows him by is like, it's all like garbage. You're just fake. Is bru- I didn't, it never hit home to me how brutal. It's not cool guy level brutal, but it's, it's tough, tough one. And then he, but then that's weird. Too many kids are getting stabbed. So he doesn't, I don't know. What a weird song. <laughs> I mean, it's still a comedy. You're going out to bars talking about how many people you killed, but then, like, when it all, when you finally, upon further reflection, you're like, you know what? Too many people are being stabbed. Yeah, we got wars going down in the middle western states. It's heavy stuff happening, and here we are. But we're if just, you we're feel just, that way, you shouldn't have the spider tattoo. We're just, we're just trying. How did this guy get there? We're just trying to be tough in the hardcore scene. We're just trying. We're going through our own shit, but really, like there are bigger things happening, and there's problems across this country. We need to take a look at those while also realizing that we're having our own identity crises and our own drug issues and that kind of stuff. You want the scars, but you don't want the war. You don't want the tax men coming around. That's what you definitely don't want. What a weird, I feel like I can't come. This song is way weirder than I thought. I thought I understood it, but now I'm like knocked kind of akimbo by like how much of a fake phony the main speaker is. How are we supposed to take anything that the person says seriously if he's just like a total poser loser? Because you're like, it's moving. Militia men cooking up a batch of crystal meth. Everything's bad. Like I, that hits hard. Like Daniel talked about at the beginning. It's there's a protest or a, a Jeremy ad element to this. But if everything is just if everything about the guy is just totally fake and phony and he's the butt of all these jokes, then I don't know. That's a very I don't think it doesn't work. I think it does work, but it's like a very weird contrast. This very, very serious thing coming from this complete buffoon. A Positive Jam is brought to you by Retro Gear Shop. Want to get the latest updates and news on vintage gear editions and new top-end gear for your studio? Email list at retrogearshop.com with the subject line Positive Jam and get added to the Retro Gear Shop newsletter and 10% off your next purchase of eligible items. Just email list at retrogearshop.com or go to retrogearshop.com slash pages slash contact and fill out the form with Positive Jam in the message and get 10% off your next high-end musical gear purchase from Retro Gear Shop. Retro Gear Shop. It's also interesting because it doesn't obviously tie into the hold steady mythology i'm sure if we go back and look on the website that i think matt you referenced earlier but i'm sure it fits into the timeline somewhere and there somebody's explaining that this is gideon talking or this is charlemagne talking or whatever but it's it's sort of a self-contained song too and there are a few of that those like that on this album that don't tie into that easily but yeah it's it's just sort of but the thing is, it's still so Craig Fit. This song, like this song, is if you were trying to, 
I feel like trying to explain this band to my friends at the time, this was probably the song I was thinking of. It's like he's cracking jokes and he's got one-liners and he sounds like a rock band. Like it, it sort of is really the hold steady in what they do, even if it is sort of a wild song when you actually think about it. Yeah, that's what I would get. It's a com- me. It's just it is a comedy. It'd be like if I watched The Hangover and I was like, "How are we supposed to take this movie seriously? Like, what is this movie actually saying?" It's like, bro, just it's funny and clever and it it's enjoyable. I think the other thing about it is this song gets me really amped. So I think we're back in the territory of a swish or something like that. This one punches you in the face pretty good, I think. So it's got that, which seems appropriate punching you in the face with your knuckles of course also it, yeah i think the similarities to to the swish are are strong i mean the the names and the references and the all kinds of short quick turns of phrase it's also one of the few songs on this album that has friends in it it's got keys which for such a stripped down song that only has like very bare bones guitar riffs the bass line and some drums having the keys in there i think almost makes it feel even a little more campy like there that element is like counterbalanced to just like this raw chunky as daniel was saying guitar riffs to also have keyboards in the background is like there's a balance to it where it's like this is a this is a tough guy song and it's a fun song also and it's a little bit lighthearted and so you got this mishmash of stuff that makes it feel rounded out a little bit more than it would without that but also a little less super heavy yeah yeah I think that's a totally great point to hit on. The keys are like video game sounding kind of, or like a merry-go-round or something. They're like sort of really major chord sounding and catchy little ditties. Horsemen cooking up a batch of the crystal map. We got wars going down in the metal west. Which does totally undermine the toughness that comes out of the riff and out of Craig's vocals where he's really shouty even for him this is like a extremely shouty performance I think so yeah that ties in really well I think to the whole theme of sound serious at first but also it's a little goofy this it's a song about posing on an album that deals a lot with posing Almost, but did not quite kill us. For context and the the plot board, hold steady chronology. The this one is is referenced as being like your establishing shot for Gideon, and so we're talking about people with tattoos, the same tattoos as Gideon. So maybe it's not necessarily like Five Alive guy might not actually be Gideon, but it's like the the scene and the crowd that he's hanging out with these these tough guys that are covered in tats and they're trying to be part of this scene. Weird one. We started. We started with protest song and we ended with goofy keyboards but it's a great track (laughs) it's it's one of the ones that if i want to just listen to a one-off hold steady song knuckles is is one of my top couple go-tos for sure totally i think that's my bafflement is like this song means a lot to me but it's so weird and goofy it's a joke it's not a joke joke it's teetering it's like it's 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 in between it's not a joke joke it's teetering. It's in between. Yeah, now we're, now we're thinking about it a lot. It's a cool song, I think. It's a cool guy song. It's a joke song. It's not a joke joke. It's teetering. 
It's in between. Thanks to Matt Brooks. As you might remember, you can support him by checking out the Washington Post's Voraciously website, their food section, and he's on Twitter at MattBrooksWP. All rights of songs sampled belong to their original creators, with these versions by Connor Oberst and the Decemberists, respectively. You can subscribe to Apostle Jam wherever you get podcasts. If you like what we're doing, please share with a friend or leave a review on Apple. This has been a Shortman Studios production. To get in touch, DM us at Shortman Studios on Twitter, or look me up at Daniel Shortman or Mike up at M. Brooks Taylor, or email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com. Join us next week for Hostile Mass, which is a great track and a sign of things to come for the whole study, for better or worse, at the same time.